0: The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.
1: It's time to find out the stories behind the stories. Welcome to Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective. Get ready for some amazing guests, along with Nick's own expertise and insight behind some of today's top news in sports, the where, why, and how. Now, here's your host, Nick Ferguson.
2: That's right. Guess who's back? It's... Nick Ferguson. You can follow me on Twitter at Nick Ferguson underscore twenty five, and my main man Mao High Mario. You can find him on Twitter at Mao High Mario. Mario, great week. Uh, upcoming uh, soon to a theater near you, and uh, we'll talk about that next week on the program. The Age of Ultron, the Avengers, and we'll break down.
3: I don't know if it's possible for me to be more excited uh, to watch this new Avengers movie because I'm going to be going at midnight, you know, try and see it at least before anybody else or at the same time as all of these other crazy fans, Nick. And I've been watching like all the trailers over and over again. I've been reading stuff online. Uh, I even read some spoilers. I'm going to say I don't know how accurate they are because the movie hasn't come out yet. So we'll see. Uh, But, man, I just, I cannot, I physically can't wait. Like, I wish time travel had been invented so I could go forward a few (laughs) weeks and see this movie already.
2: Well, I I tell you what, I mean, it's going to be a big May. Talk about box office. May 1st, the movie officially comes out. Mario's going to go see it on the 30th uh, at midnight. I'm going to see it that Friday. But May 2nd, of course. I'm disappointed
3: in you, though, Nick.
2: And listen, I have two small kids. I can't take them out. Midnight on Thursday. You, you don't have need to go out with them.
3: You leave them at home with the wife. You dress up as uh, as Iron Man or Captain America, and you get your butt to that theater.
2: See, you know what? You're engaged, but you, you don't have any kids yet. Wait, wait till your fiancé gives birth. All of this is going to change. But May 2nd, uh, I guess the fight that everyone's wanting to see for the past five or six years, finally is going to take place. Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao join the program later on. We'll talk to Scoop Jackson to get his take on this matchup and see what he thinks about what Freddie Roach had to say. But still, NBA playoffs this Saturday to take place. And Mario, I don't know about you, and we'll talk to Scoop Jackson about this. You know, I'm always excited around this time of the year because, I mean, it's always said that hope springs eternal and every fan at the beginning of the season. It's like any major sport. They always think that they have a chance until you actually get on the court the field or whatever you want to call it. But but now it's it's your team is finally in. And for me, I have to say this, you know, my team, the Miami Heat, they're not in. Uh, we expected that to happen. Chris Bosch went out early uh with the blood clot type wait, of wait, wait, wait,
3: wait, wait. Did you did you just say we expected this to happen? Nip, if, if I remember correctly, Nick, at the beginning of the season, you, you know, you're Mr. Heat fan. You're Mr. Oh, we don't need LeBron to be a good team. You're telling me that they were still going to be a contender in the East, which isn't hard to do because the East is terrible, Nick. And now you're saying is what we all knew. Come on, man. Step up well, see, to the no, plate no, no, wait, 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 wait. take he, one he, in the back.
2: No, no, no. Oh, we'll take in the back. So here, here's my co-host stabbing me in the back. But here's the thing. I, I yeah I stick to that what I said about the fact that I believe that the Heat still was a contender even without LeBron James but I did not know that we were going to lose Chris Bosh if Chris Bosh was still in the fold we're talking about something entirely different the Miami Heat proved even with Chris Bosh being out that they can beat a LeBron James and a Cleveland team that's loaded with, with talent so that was an extra element that we did we did not have and we know that Dwayne Wade was going through his injuries so so that just kind of changed the dynamic for Pat Riley but be rest assured we will rise again like the Phoenix come next year because Pat Riley has something up Nick his the team sleeve. in
3: Phoenix is called the Suns man come on you, you're 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 crossing your comparisons here
2: well, first of all, that, that was a comic book <laughs> reference. Remember, Gene Ray rose from the ashes as Phoenix. Come on, I thought you were going to catch on to that, Mario. No,
3: no, I get what you're saying, but I'm ta- you're talking about Phoenix, and I, you know, you're talking about Phoenix and basketball. That's the Suns. That's all I'm saying.
2: Well, and just like the Suns, we're going, <laughs> we're going to rise. We're going to elevate our level of play because, hey, Pat Riley said to get rings, you need rebounds. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to do just that. We're going to rebound. So all you teams, bask in the glory right now. Soak it up because the heat will return again. So
3: Whatever you say, man, let's not, let's not waste the hour that we have. Let's not waste any more time talking about the hapless heat. Well, uh, well let's talk about a good team, Nick.
2: Well, okay, well, I guess we would omit the Denver Nuggets from that uh, equation. So, <laughs>
3: hey, I, I didn't I'm I'm not the one that said anything about the Denver Nuggets. Let me I I I got a quick question for you before we get too into it. The Atlanta Hawks who are the number 1 seed in the Eastern Conference by 7 games over the Cleveland Cavaliers, they're far and above the best team in the East. However, they have won only five of their last ten games. They have a three-game losing streak going into the playoffs. Do you put any stake into this, or was it a matter of, oh, they're just resting their guys. They already had the number one seed locked up. Uh, momentum doesn't really matter.
2: Well, I think, you know, we've seen several coaches do this, even in, in the NFL, and Greg Popovich was, you know, great at doing it. You rest your guys. You have that number one seed. You don't want to risk, you know, injury knowing as what, what is at stake. So, so why play those guys? Yeah, you want to give them maybe some small minutes in those games, but you don't want to give them max minutes as though you would do if it was a regular season game and the game was on the line. So to me, I agree with the fact that you rest your guys, you prepare for that long roll, that seven-game series, and you talk about maybe one, two, maybe three possible seven-game series that you might be in. So I think it's a great idea, and I mean, I applaud it. When you look at what the Hawks you know, are right now as an organization and you look at the sports scene in Atlanta – when the Atlanta Braves, and that's the 95 Braves, that's the only thing that the Falcons can really, or the state, or California, not California, excuse me, Georgia, can hang its hat on is the 95 Braves. To me, this Hawks team is now trying to uplift itself, elevate the sports scene in Atlanta. But we've seen this team last year, the eight seed, really pushed some teams. But now with the number one seed, everyone's coming after you. You're not the underdog. Can you hold that spot? And how long can you hold that spot?
3: And here's why I bring it up, Nick. If you flash over to the Western Conference, the Golden State Warriors, who are, in my opinion, the best team in basketball, the most complete team in basketball, who locked up the number one seed, it seems like, forever ago. I mean, they just to put into perspective, Nick, there's a logjam in the Western Conference basically from 2 to 7. Those teams are separated by 6 games. Those 6 teams are separated by 6 games. The Golden State Warriors, the closest team to them, the Rockets and the Clippers, are 11 games behind and they didn't turn it off Nick they have won eight of the last 10 they have won four in a row so I guess I guess we will see uh and obviously the Western Conference is much more competitive I mean they get the Pelicans that's a very tough draw I mean the Thunder it was either the Pelicans or the Thunder that's a tough draw in the first round for the Golden State Warriors obviously the Western Conference is much more top heavy than the East but I guess we'll get a look and see uh, maybe which strategy works better. Golden State obviously didn't rest their guys. They got a lot of momentum going in. Atlanta, you know, rested their guys, wanted to make sure that they were fresh. No momentum. So we'll we'll see how it plans out. And maybe because they play that eighth seed, Nick, and they have a series to kind of get their feet under him, maybe it won't matter, but time will tell.
2: Well, we'll see. Look, we'll, we'll ask all those questions. Well, once we get Scoop Jackson on uh, very shortly here, what his thoughts are, on the NBA playoffs, more importantly, his shot town Chicago Bulls and Derrick Rose, with him returning to the lineup, how deep can the Chicago Bulls teams actually uh, get? But before we get get him in, you know, when we first started, we talked about May 2nd, Pacquiao, Floyd Mayweather. Now, for, for me, you know, I, I want May, uh, Pacquiao to win this fight. And, you know, so much has been said about Floyd Mayweather, his record, they ain't having an unblemished record, but I, I think, to be totally honest, let me be frank with you. I, I think he, he's very egotistically driven, and probably so because he's undefeated, but he needs to be humbled, you know, and I think Pacquiao could possibly be that guy to humble him, and I would like to see that, and, and I'll tell you this. Let me back up for a second. I'm going to bring in one of Shy towns finest, but I'm going to bring him in. The right way. So, so give Scoop Jackson a proper introduction. Mr. Kanye West. I live two words. Live by two words, Scoop Jackson. Welcome to the program. Thank you for joining us. What's
4: up, man? What's going on? I thought you were going to play all day or something like that. No. You
2: know? <laughs> no. Hey, you know, Kanye West said it best. Shy town raised me. I live by two words. You know what? Pay me. So I had to yeah, bring you in true. that way. Uh,
4: or, or as he said, I'm, too shy. I'm so shy, I'm bashful. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you know what? Before you, before you joined us, we were talking about uh, Freddie Roach and Manny Pacquiao and uh, Floyd Mayweather, the fight that's supposed to take place on May 2nd. To me, I think the fight is long overdue for you. When you break down this fight, how do you see it playing out?
4: Um, one, I think it's long overdue, too. And I'm, I'm surprised that it's gotten the attention that it's gotten because I didn't think, um, you know, the, the interest, the public interest would still be there this late in the game. I thought the window was closed on this being such a big fight. So, especially after Manny took a few losses, you know, uh, I thought the interest and in, public interest in the fight would die down. But, um you know, uh, so I'm glad to see it because I wanted to see this fight happen even though they're not fighting at their peak. Um, that being said, you know, uh, I, it's, it's hard to say, you know, um, because of, you know, how boxing is about matchups, the same way basketball comes about matchups when you get into the playoffs. And, you know, these are two different fighters that are matching up against each other. And I don't think historically you can go back and say, all right, well, we've seen this fight before. You know, you know, we've seen fighters you know quite like this before because they're two unique fighters. So there's nothing really historically to pull on. You know, you can't say this is Sugar Ray and and you know and and Hearns or Hagler or you know anybody in the middleweight division, Howard Davis, Alexa Carvalho. You know, you can't you can't find this fight to peg what's going to happen. So it's hard to pull from. And usually in boxing, you can pull from something. You can say, Mm -hmm. all right. I can see how this fight may play out because these two fighters, you know, these two types of fighters have fought this fight before, and this is how it ended up. I I can't, you know, historically look back and say that I've seen, you know, a fight where you have the characteristics of both fighters like this, getting into the ring, you know, um, at this point in time in their career and saying, okay, here's the precursor to how this fight may come out. So it's too hard to prove. So with that being said – I say, you ask how I, fight, how I see the fight playing out. I, the, the, the tangible I use in that is simply, you know, who who has the most to lose in this fight will be the one that comes out the victor. You so know, and, be- and with that being said, I really think Floyd has much more to lose in this fight. You know, Manny has nothing to lose. And sometimes that's a dangerous thing. But Floyd, if you look throughout his career, you know he—people can question whether he's been the greatest of his era or one of the greatest ever. The one thing we can say that, for the most part, in the ring, he has been the smartest fighter. And with him having the most to lose by risking having that one L, you know, on his category, that he's going to do whatever he can to protect that. Not to the point where he's going to make himself vulnerable, but to the point that, you know, I'm, I, I got too much to lose to lose this fight, you know. And without having anything else, you know, to draw on, you know, to say, okay, I've seen this fight before, we've seen this fight before, that's the tangible I'm leaning on as to how I see the outcome of the fight playing itself well, out.
2: Well, you know what, I think personally, and I think everyone agree that this fight is long- overdue and with neither boxer being in their prime for me it really doesn't make a difference who wins the fight because I'm going to say well if, if, if Floyd wins the fight or Pacquiao wins the fight I don't really care this fight should have but, taken place two five but, years but ago when you guys been in your prime but you know what you could
4: say that about anything I mean you know the, the you know but you know you could say that about anything but I think if we're talking about the fight itself I'm speaking on the point of the fighters, not me. I'm not making money off the fight. You know, it's not whatever happens in the ring is not gonna change my life. So I can all we can all take that attitude. But for the people to get to the ring, how can you say that? Scoop, of course, is gonna change your
3: life. It'll make your life better if Mayweather loses. It'll make everyone's life better.
4: Why? Because of his attitude? Because he needs to be (laughs) humble?
3: Let let me ask you this. If Pacquiao doesn't beat Mayweather, is he ever going to lose another fight after this? Because I feel like this is going to threaten his uh, undefeated streak more than anything in his upcoming future. And and he played it perfectly. This is why we've waited five years because Mayweather knew that Pacquiao was the biggest threat. So why not wait until Pacquiao is no longer in his prime and not as much of a threat to beat him?
4: See, I, I, I hear you. I agree with you, but I look at it differently. It's the fact that and, and people tend to use the word fear, and Skip Bayless to say he's been running from him. I think Floyd knows that Pacquiao, even over the last five years, is the only fighter that can get in the ring and have everything possible to beat him. You know, so instead of – I think he played it smart. And with all the questions running around, whether Pacquiao was taking or not taking, you know, extra enhancements, you know, and with him refusing to come on the level, I think Floyd was like, look, I'm getting anybody else I'm not going to do this to. I'm not going to make uh, Olympic testing required to get in the ring with because nobody else can mess with me. But this dude, oh, no, this dude can get me. So I got to make sure we're going to up and up now. So you say he waited until he's out of much prime. My thing in looking at the facts is that Floyd kept asking for him to get tested and everybody be tested. And Pacquiao kept, kept refusing that. Now, we're not saying the rumors are true or not, but we're saying it's out there. So for him refusing to do that, you know, I don't know if that's necessarily waiting until his crime comes out. That's asking a legitimate question with somebody you know has a chance of beating you. Yeah, but Floyd, Ma- Floyd Mayweather
3: is like, huh? he's like a, a gen- an evil genius. I, th- I feel like he played this perfectly. And maybe, you know, I'm I'm going out on a limb here because I, I agree with what you're saying, and I get it, and you're absolutely right. Pacquiao did have more control over the situation. But you got to love the way that Floyd Mayweather played it, man. You know, people can say whatever they want about him, but this is the smartest way that he could have gone about it. So last question, real quick, Scoop. Who wins the fight? Who you got?
4: Well, I got, I got Floyd with it. I got Floyd winning, and this goes back to what I was saying. The eye test is based on this. I have seen Floyd not win fights. You get what I'm saying? He's still undefeated, but I have seen him not win fights. I right. have not seen him lose. i seen Pacquiao lose. i seen Pacquiao lose to fighters that were lesser than Floyd Mayweather. Right. So if we're mathematically breaking it down from an eye test situation, I got – Floyd all day. And plus, like I said, it goes to what you were saying. I think he's, and this is no disrespect to Pacquiao, I just think he's smarter. You know, even to the way what he does outside the ring. I think his efficiency, you know, his, his being like a surgeon in the ring, I don't necessarily see he will, I won't necessarily say he'll, he'll win the fight. But I just don't see him losing. And that's going to wind up being a victory on his side. He doesn't have to beat Pacquiao. All he has to do is not lose. And we've seen Floyd not lose fights. And he's still undefeated. That's his thing. You know, as, as fans, we tend to look at, okay, we got to knock somebody out. You have to technically, I mean, you know, basically beat somebody down. It's You know, still in boxing, it's a point system, you know, to a certain degree. And those points or those points come from judges. Right. And if Floyd does what he does best, especially if the fight goes long, if he just defensively makes it impossible for Manny to hurt him, then he can technically just win the fight. You know what I'm saying? He just said he get handed to fight. And at the end of the day, he's like, look, it's not pretty. Y'all may not like it, but guess what? I win is a win. The and, that, and that goes back to what I think he has more to lose. And I think that's what's going to carry him through.
2: Well, was, right. well, well Scoop, uh, let, let's switch to NBA basketball. The playoffs start here on Saturday. And you're Chicago. Well, you're not. It says that you're a New York Knicks fan. But the Chicago Bulls right. have that three seed playing the Bucks. And what's going to happen with this team? Derrick Rose went out early in the season and everyone was wondering what he was going to make them, make them jump back to the Bulls and what kind of player he was going to be once he comes back into the fold. How do you see this working out for the Bulls with Derrick Rose still trying to find minutes, trying to get his conditioning and his mindset back into NBA-style playoff basketball?
4: But I think um, even though Mike Carter Williams is a point guard in this situation, I think it's going to benefit Derrick you know, having at least the first round to, you know, hopefully stay healthy. I I, I can't admit, I'm still, you know, uh, cautious about him sitting out the entire second half of last night's game because of soreness, and this is only, like, his fourth game back. You know, and in the playoff series, in the seven-game playoff series, you know, you can't be, like, healthy for four games and then miss one and then come back, because that one game could be the difference in the entire series. So, you know, Derrick Rose can't afford to miss one game. So I was hoping he didn't miss second half of yesterday, because now – the answer to your question, from my standpoint, has caution in there. You know, how healthy is he really? You know, is he going to be healthy, like you said, not just to get his rhythm, get his timing, get his confidence back, but to not be sore. You know, this is the playoff, so you can't afford to take a – you know, he can't take a game off. You can't do that. Now, that being said, even without finding his rhythm and doing all this, if he can work through this first-round series without any physical damage being done, then I think they'll be fine. I think he'll be fine. Um, And I still like them if everybody else is healthy because let's not act like Joel Kim Noah hasn't been playing, you know, and uh, uh, Todd Gibson is out with a shoulder injury. If they're healthy, man, I still like the chance to get through to these, even even including Cleveland and Atlanta. You know, that's the bottom line answer. But, you know, that's such a big if now. It's such a big if. It's hard to like – it's almost hard to believe it because I almost feel like I'm lying to myself. You know, because they haven't, they, their starting five has only played 20 games together all season long. That's it. 20 games, and I think they're either 15-5 or 16-4 with that starting lineup. But that, you know, that's a lot to ask all of a sudden for, you know, a team that's only had a starting lineup together for 20 games the entire season. So you know what I'm saying? Going to the playoffs and, all right, here's your starting five, and they're going to ride it out the whole time for 16 more wins. That's, you know, it's almost impossible to ask that question, but that's what I'm holding on to.
2: Well, if you're just joining us, we're talking to Chicago native journalist, ESPN.com writer and basketball aficionado, Scoop Jackson. You can follow him on Twitter at IamScoopJackson. About 10 seconds before we get out of here, Scoop, much debated NBA MVP. In your opinion, is it Steph Curry, James Harden, or Russell Westbrook? Uh,
4: My opinion on who I would give it to, I'd give it to Russ. Who I think is going to get it, and basically, who I feel deserves it uh, nationally or publicly, is, is uh, probably Steph Curry. Um, but I'm not one to, my criteria is a little bit different. Uh, I, I don't fall into that category where I think you should associate a team's success with the individual's performance. Uh, the MVP is an individual award, it's, it's given to the player, but we still can't figure out what the criteria is. You know, um, if it's the best player or the player who had the best season or whatever, you know, my thing is that to me what I saw, what I watched, you know, what I watched Russell Westbrook do this season to me was historic, especially on the back end, especially in the second half. You know, and people talk about what James Harden didn't have, Dwight Howard and Steph Curry's team had the best record. Hell, you know, Russell Westbrook lost the MVP. That's something Dwight Howard never won. <laughs> he never won an MVP. You know, so <laughs> that was a bigger loss for Russell Westbrook. And, you know, Steph Curry had a lot more to work with. You know than um, than Russell Westbrook did, and he still you know was able to uh, do what he did with Golden State. You know, but you lose the MVP and to do what Russ did, eleven triple doubles, eleven, yeah, that's and then wound up leading the league in scoring. You know, and and I mean it doesn't count, but still he won the All Star MVP. I mean, come on, man, he had a historic second half of the season, and you know to me, even though his team didn't make the playoffs, there's only so much one individual could do, and I can't see any other individual doing more than what Russell did. He, he, had, he had a season to me that was almost as good as what Kobe did when Kobe averaged 35 in that season where he scored 81 and in another game outscored Dallas Mavericks in three quarters. And he didn't get the MVP that season.
3: Hmm. But, Scoop, you know, I, have a, I have a real quick question, I, I, I Honestly, category, and honestly like, I don't which, know. Which has has a player ever won an MVP award who played on a team that didn't make the playoffs?
4: Um, I think that's happened once in the NBA. I think it's happened. I can't remember who did it. Um, I, I remember it happening one time, and I can't remember who it was, but it did happen one time. And to the argument about, like, him missing games, Bill Russell won the MVP and missed 30 games during the season. You know? Right. And, and once again, they don't put a litmus test on it. It's not like when you're filling out an MVP award, they actually say that. There's, there's not, that's not one of the criteria. Like, you, the team has to win the playoffs. It's, it's a personal choice. And once again, it's an individual award. So I always ask, what are we judging? Are we judging on the individual performance?
3: Exactly. I've been lobbying for Russell Westbrook for, you know, the last couple months. I completely agree with you.
4: Yeah, and I think he was – it's not like he was out of the race to begin with. You know, I think it was – I think he was in the conversation to begin with, but then he took it to another level. You know, and that other level, to me, since the race was always so close, to me that was the tipping point. And it goes back to the point I'm making about Kobe Bryant. You know, when Kobe averaged 35, which is something that hadn't been done since Michael Jordan did, it still – If you look at how Kevin Durant is going, Kevin came close last year, and he got the MVP, and he still didn't average Kobe average. You know, my thing is that Kobe in that season did some stuff that we're still talking about to this day, still to this day talking about. Can you all tell me just off the top of your head who won the MVP that year? I can't tell you. That's my point. We're going to be talking about Russell Westbrook this season, 15 years from now, and we might not remember who won the MVP.
2: (laughs) But well, usually when, when, when people talk point. about it, it's just like, you know, no one remembers who comes in second. You always remember the person first, and I agree with you, you know, just like, you know, both of you guys. You know, I thought R- Russell Westbrook, you lose Kevin Durant, Serge Ibaka has gone through some injuries, 11 triple doubles. To me, I think that that's sensational, and I love the way that he has that kind of scores mentality. He's always on attack mode, attacking a basket, but we know he has the NBA scoring title, so Maybe, because maybe, I know the voting, I think, closed at maybe 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So maybe when all is said is done, maybe they look at Russell Westbrook and don't look nah. at the fact of Steph Curry nah. and what it's, the Golden it's, State it's Warriors are doing.
4: It's not. And you know what? If we're really honest with ourselves, Solis, we have to understand that the media votes for this award. And we all know how the media publicly feels about Russell Westbrook.
2: Yeah, he's not a, he's not a very uh, likable guy. He, but,
4: start, he, he started off yeah. in a hole. He had to dig himself out of the hole. He probably gained a lot of people's respect, but not enough to jump over James Harden, you know, or, or, or Steph Curry. Just from the like yeah. factor. That, that's before not going to happen. So we have to be honest about it. He's not going to get it.
2: Yeah, before I let you go get out of here, you know, the Chicago Bears, uh, Mark Trestman came in, Phil Emery just kind of decimated that team. Can you sum up the Bears' season in one word? Last year, yes, betrayal. <laughs> and and <laughs> looking know, I'm, at right, looking I'm, at the fact, I'm glad I'm
4: not a, yeah, I'm, not, I'm glad I'm not a Bears fan like that because to me, that they betrayed their entire fan base.
2: So, so now the, the the city of Chicago is hosting the NFL draft this season. Any high expectations for uh, Chicago Bears to do anything worthwhile in this draft to kind of? Change your perspective, even though you're not a Bears fan, but change your perspective on the organization as a whole.
4: Well, it depends on what they decide to do. Uh, and this Jay Cutler thing is is, is like a, a huge gray cloud hanging over the city in what they're going to do. Um, you know, you hear rumors that they may have him on the trading block to try to move up from number seven, number seven spot to get Marcus Mariota. You know, um, but if they don't do that and they maintain the seven spot, you know, um, in the draft, they got rid of Brandon Marshall, you know, for reasons, you know, whatever. They, we still don't publicly know. Um, but I, I don't know if Alshon Jeffrey is is right now ready to be a number one wide out. So, you know, you look at, you know, uh, uh, and Amari Cooper, who I thought was the best player in college football last year, as a number one option, you know, uh, or, or get somebody at the uh, – what's my name Kevin White? Um Yeah. yeah. Or Kevin White. So you have a wide receiver that's available to get um, at that position. Uh, and if they do that, I think the city will be fine. And uh, we're just working from there.
2: Well, Scoop, as always, it's, it's a pleasure to have you on. I love your insight and I love your, your approach. And you have that West, Russell Westbrook type of attitude when you attack sports. So once again, <laughs> <laughs> thank you for joining the program. That's Scoop Jackson.
5: Thanks Appreciate a lot, Scoop.
2: Appreciate y'all. Thank you, man. All right. Coming up after the break, we're going to talk to UCLA fine running back Maurice Jones-Drew. You listen to Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective with Myoha Amaria on Voice America Sports.
5: Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? <laughs> internet flagship station for sports.
0: Voice America
2: Sports.
1: You're listening to Secondary Perspective with Nick Ferguson. To get in the lineup for today's show, please call one 346 9144 That's one 346 9144 Or send an email to nickferkshow at gmail.com. Now, back to the show.
6: Uh, I right. got my mind made
2: up.
6: Come we'll on, get in, get
2: Shortly, that's Maurice Jones-Drew, MJD, talking about UCLA, but more importantly, talking about his retirement and what the NFL prospect running backs have to look forward to as they look to join the fraternity, which is uh, the NFL, especially in the league that's elevating the quarterback to elite status while devaluing the run game. We'll get his insight on just that. Uh, But Mario, I mean, always great stuff uh, from Scoop Jackson. And as, and as I said to him, and I said to you when we were off air, is the fact of I love his energy, his, his, the way that he approached sports, the way that he attacks it with that kind of tenacity, that aggressiveness. You know what I should have asked him? He's a spark that, plug. Yeah, it's a spark plug. Like, if he played in the NFL, what position would he play? Would he be a if, running back or wide receiver?
3: Just like the because of his demeanor, or how he's built, or what are you what are you saying?
2: Well, I'm just saying just, just his attitude. I mean, because sometimes it's not decided. Oh,
3: the... Scoop, scoop is. I, I think he's a kick returner. He's a kick right. returner, <laughs> and he gets in at you know, at wide receiver every once in a while because he'll make like the big play. He'll return a kick for a touchdown, and just go absolutely crazy. Uh, but he he doesn't strike me as someone that likes to get hit, so he's not playing wide receiver full time.
2: <laughs> so so the thing, what, what kind of person would he be would the, he be he's, like he's a Devin home, Hester he's like,
3: yeah he's like a Devin Hester he's the, he's the home run hitter
2: okay with well, Devin Hester or Dante Hall
3: uh you see I'm gonna I actually I like scoop so I'm gonna say Devin Hester because Dante Hall man it, I, I can't stand him and I'm out here in Kansas City now <laughs> and everybody out here loves them some Dante Hall but as a Broncos fan and even like you were on the team when he did some of the stuff that he did and no one ever really wants to talk about that. Anytime that they bring up great punt returns, Nick, they show that one against the Broncos uh, and the Chiefs. And Dante Hall got three blocks in the back on that punt return. Our boy Willie Middlebrooks took two of them. So if you don't believe me, go ahead and watch the film. Watch it objectively. But that's why I don't like Dante Hall. And he had, what, two <laughs> years of relevancy, and then he fell into obscurity? Yeah, get out of here with that, man.
2: Well, well, I'll I'll talk about that particular play in 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 detail because I was there. I witnessed it uh, firsthand. But let's talk about Yeah, I I was there. I'll tell you you about that in in the moment. I'll get to that in the moment. But I want to get to my next guest. You can find him at Jones underscore Drew 32, standout running back at UCLA. And, you know, Maurice, I I have to ask you, with these running backs coming into the NFL, and we've seen it over the past couple of years, the devaluation of the running back position. There hasn't been a running back taken in the first round since 2012. And Trent Richardson is, was the first running back taken off the board. And this, run, this class of running backs coming in this year, do you see any of those guys who can live up to the expectations of being the first overall back taken in this NFL draft?
6: Oh, no, most definitely. Um... I feel like uh, the last couple of years you haven't had the the quality of back. Um, obviously, you have a Le'Veon Bell, Eddie Lacy, who had, um, you know, they kind of failed to the second round. Eddie Lacy should have been a first-round pick, but he had some issues training. Le'Veon, I think the scouts kind of missed him a little bit, not thinking that what he was able to do at Michigan State uh, would be able to translate to the league, but obviously, obviously we're wrong about that. Um, but some of these things, last, or the year before, last year, I don't think there was a running back that was, <clears throat> had the ability, um to carry the load, is what you think of a, uh, an every down back. I mean, if you look at those guys from last year, a lot of them sp- uh, split time. Most of them were guys that, uh, they probably could have done it if they were asked to, but most of them were change of pace guys, uh, smaller backs, so, um you know, this is kind of how it is. This this draft, I think you have about four or five guys that have the ability to go first round, can be first round. Um, you yeah. have uh, the kid out of Boise State who who's a great runner. I think if Seattle was in the first round, you would see them kind of look at him. Um, I see uh, Gurley, obviously, tremendous talent. Gordon, tremendous talent. Tevin Coleman out of Indiana, tremendous talent. Then you have Duke Johnson, who he's that home run hitter. And so... A lot of coaches like that, depending on what system he's in. I think he could be a guy that can be a home run hitter and he could be a guy that slides into the the first round as well so uh I think you have a this year's more back it's uh the talents more receiver back defensive line uh, or pass rushers and so you'll see a lot of those guys go
2: well you know what you know you mentioned Duke Johnson and I grew up in Miami, so you know I like watching uh the hurricanes that I'll go in and turn that program around but Duke Johnson, sort of like yourself, kind of really small in stature. I mean, and talk about it from your standpoint. You know, there were like teams that passed on you when you came out and you were taken in the second round that looked at you from a physical standpoint and said, well, he's under six feet, and we don't know if he's going to be that type of back for us. So when you have running backs like yourself, Duke Johnson, that had a little bit of vertically challenged, you know, talk about that mindset as once you get into the league, what a guy like Duke Johnson must do.
6: Well, I think me and Duke Johnson are two different players. Obviously, I may be shorter, but I weighed, you know, I was playing at 215 pounds at 5'7", so I don't think there's many players that are like that. Duke, yeah, he's not the tallest guy, but what he does, he he doesn't take a lot of hits head-on. He's, uh, he's a very elusive in the open field, and he does a great job of, catching the ball out of the backfield, and he can take it a distance. You know, obviously down there in Miami, you know, just as everyone else, speed is the king down there. And he's one of the faster running backs to come out in this draft. I think uh, in the system, whatever system he's in, it's on those coaches to be able to give him the ball in space. He's a space runner. He's not a guy – I mean, he ran between the tackles a little bit in college, but that's not where his strong – he can do it, but that's not his strength. You know, his strength is to have the ball in space – and if they can find a way to give him the ball in space, he'll, he'll do a tremendous job. Well,
2: if you just join us, we're talking to UCLA standout running back and now your NFL vet, Maurice Jones-Jude. You can follow him on Twitter at Jones underscore Drew 32. Now, talk about the skill set of running backs. Uh, knowing as a lot of NFL teams are devaluing that position, what skill sets that, that these crop of running backs coming into the league, what is it that they need to master? to have a career that lasts as long as yours lasts?
6: Well, you know, it's funny. Everyone talks about the devaluation of running backs and you don't want to pay them and this and that, but then you look at the Super Bowl or you look at every team that went deep into the playoffs. Um, let's take an example the Green Bay Packers. A couple of years ago, Aaron Rodgers was one of the guys that was uh, – I can't say he was crying, but he was making a statement saying that we need a running game in order for us to be successful we need a running game. Um New England, you take a disgruntled player coming out of Pittsburgh and you you bring him in, then all of a sudden you become a t- contender, you know? I think people just use those words but they show you different things. Every team that was in the playoffs, obviously Seattle, you talk about Seattle, I mean they lean on their running game. That's why they went to the Super Bowl back-to-back years. Um if you look at if you look at uh Denver, you know, Denver has been looking for a running back. I and mean, then you get C.J. Anderson, who steps up huge late in the year when Peyton couldn't throw and he was going through whatever issues he was going through. They started leaning on C.J. Anderson. Uh The Colts, the Colts have been looking for a running back the last four or five years. So you see that they went out and paid a guy who's 31, 32 a lot of money to come in and do the job that uh that he can and will do. And so when you talk about – when people just use that word – they, they don't, they're not really looking at the facts, okay? Let's look at the facts. Every team that's won the Super Bowl, we can go all the way back to the Giants when they beat the Pats. They, they were, I want to say, in the, before they went on their run in December, I think they might have been rushing for like 80 yards a game. Throughout December and then throughout the playoffs, they started averaging 120. So when you get to the playoffs, running backs are, yeah, we're not most important come September and October, but let's be honest, when the game's on the line – you want to be able to turn around and hand that ball off. And that's where I think people uh, fail to realize. You know, obviously a lot of uh, GM and on the business side, GM and scouts and head coaches and owners, you don't want to pay a running back because they have the, the highest, I guess the highest probability of getting injured, you know, because you're getting hit every play. So it wouldn't, it, it's not the best investment, but if you really want to win games, and I think Seattle is the bookmark for it. If you really want to win games, you're going to have a monster running back behind because he can change the game and he's the heartbeat of your team. So, yeah, you might say uh, running backs are being devalued, but when you look at it throughout the playoffs and when, when, and when everything's on the line, when you don't have another, if you, another week is not uh, granted, you know, I think that's when you see the true valuation of every position. And if you look at every playoff game, running backs were the number one thing that everybody was talking about from LaShawn McCoy to uh, obviously Marshawn Lynch, the, you know, it's just, it just guys that can change the game at that position. It's not high risk throwing the ball. You can turn around and hand the ball off and the guy can change the game. If you can get a guy like that, and I think in this draft you have, you know, and I haven't got a chance to look at every running back, but there, I think there's a, you can get some value in some late round picks of guys that can do that as well. So, I mean, the top four or five guys, six guys, they can run. And I think the key for them is to learn how to block and understand blocking so you can get on the field sooner and, and get that confidence going. And then once you get that going, I think this this will be a back uh, class of backs that we talk about
3: for years to come. Maurice, how much stake do you put into blocks? Because, you know, of all the incre- uh, running back blocking, that is, because of all the incredible highlights throughout your incredible career, still the best one is when you basically ended Sean Merriman's career. That is not even like my favorite highlight of yours, but probably one of my favorite football highlights of all time. So, how important is it, uh, I mean, to like a franchise to a team who's going to draft a running back that they're able to protect the quarterback?
6: Well, I think there's there multiple things. You know, obviously, the first thing is the number one asset to every team is your quarterback. So, if you can't protect the number one asset, why would I put you on the field? One, two, I was always taught you want to be on the field at all times. So you you don't want to give a coach or a personnel person or a scout any reason why not to have you on the field. And so I think if you're able to go out there and you take blocking, it, it, we all anybody everybody can run the ball, and that's why you that's why they talk about the devaluation of running backs because you're right, everyone can run the ball. That, that's just what we do. We've been groomed is from kids to run the ball, read holes, anticipate certain things. But the ones that make the one what makes you special is can you be a versatile back? Can you catch out of the backfield? Do you know protections? Are you willing to go in there and put your head in there? Can you return kicks and punts? Because when you can do so many different things, it's hard for a defense to kind of key on you. Maybe one time you come out, you're in the backfield and you're blocking. Maybe another time you're in, and you're in the slot catching the screen. Maybe another time you're doing this, you're doing that. And that's when you become valuable. And so I think. The whole part about that is being in the game on third down when you're gonna get these exotic blitzes, you're gonna get all these exotic things, and can you understand the protection and where it's weak? And can you be a second quarterback back there just in case somebody messes up, you have to be that safety uh to you know, to be that last line of defense for the quarterback.
2: Well, Maurice, one last question before we let you get out of here. You spent some time in the Oakland Raiders uh, organization, and Jack Rio just took over. What's the over-under for this team to at least, at least make a move in the AFC West? And I will ask my, my last question before I let you get out of it, but please answer that one right there for me, please. Um, you know,
6: I think you, right now there's a lot of things going on in the AFC West. Um, I think Kansas City has done a great job in free agency. I think uh, <laughs> there's a lot of turmoil down in San Diego right now with Phillip his contract, so you, you kind of got to use that. I think Oakland's been under the radar a little bit. I think they signed some, some really good football players, not guys with a lot of potential, but guys that can play ball, which when you are trying to start something, that's what you need. You need guys that can come out and flat-out play right now. You can't worry about potential. You can't worry about all those other things. I think all those guys they signed to this point are got better ball players. So uh, obviously Denver – you have an aging, uh, aging Peyton. Jack knows a lot about that. He has that, uh, from being there for a couple of years. So he has that, uh, experience there. And, and then again, Kansas City, you know, they got some guys that can go. So I think that'd be their biggest chance. But I feel like they have a, a, a great chance of being a team that goes from obviously worst to first. Um, your second year with your, your young quarterback, great defensive line, uh, you know, so I think they have have some good things to see how they do in the draft, and and the, and the key is to get that team to come together. And if they can do that, they'll they'll be a force to be reckoned with.
2: Now, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you this question. I mean, it's it's a major decision that every athlete is forced to make, whether he wants to or not. You just made that decision recently, and a decision to retire. Talk about how difficult that was for you, if it was at all, and what went into making that decision for you.
6: Uh, I mean. I think any time you do something for twenty plus years it's gonna be hard, a hard decision, but I've always kind of made one to be real about every situation, you know, as much as I feel like I can go out there and you know dog any linebacker and go out there and do anything you know and I showed spurts of that this year. I just wasn't doing it at a consistent level and and I think that was the most frustrating part for me. so with that being said, it was kind of one of those things I got to working out again. And I saw – last year I worked my butt off for seven straight months, getting into the best shape I could possible, uh, getting down to my, my playing weight and making sure that I you know, was playing at a high level. And started working out here, and I started getting back down to it. And I usually throughout the year I'll leave uh, my family and go train. And it kind of came to that point. It was like a week or so away where I was going to leave. And I was kind of like, you know what? I just had to sit down and really just take a deep breath and think, and, you know, I had a lot of nicks and bruises this year, and it just came to, a, like, in my body, to get my body back in that shape, to be able to play at that level again, it was, it was going to be pretty tough to do it, and uh, my kids have taken a, they've sacrificed a lot of me not being around, and, you know, my, my, my oldest son is seven, my nephew who lives with me, he's eight, um my, my youngest one, my youngest son is four, my daughter's five, so... I missed a lot of their life. And, again, like I said, I've made enough money. I've done a lot of great things. It just felt like it was time to kind of take a break and and be dad for a while. And so uh, I guess it was tough. I guess for most people that would be tough for me. It was kind of like, hey, it is what it is. I enjoyed my my ride. Now it's time for me to, you know, help my kids and, and be around and do things like that. So this morning I walked my son to school, which was cool, you know, having been able to do that. And to be able to do those things, I think that was more of a kind of played a role in the I retired.
2: Well, Maurice, I mean, it was a pleasure to have you on. And, and like you said, you know, family is real important. And, you know, we give so much or the game gives so much to us, but it takes away uh, just the same. And knowing as though you are a stand-up man and wanting to be there for your family, I definitely respect that. But I do miss those days of having that contact running into you. Or let me rephrase that. I yeah. like to forget those days of running into you, but it was a pleasure as always. You were always a consummate professional, and you have broken some records in that Jacksonville Jaguars uh, organization, man. So, uh, a great kudos to you, man, for everything that you're doing, and thanks for joining the program.
6: Oh, uh, no problem. Another, you know, I don't. These kids are starting to get more crazy, so I definitely don't uh, want to get hit by them anymore. They're getting too big and too fast. <laughs> it's unbelievable, man. The talent that's coming out now. So, I was like, I'm gonna get out while I can.
2: <laughs> well, I tell you what, man. You had a, you had a great career. One of the power backs in, in the NFL. Remember, you can follow Maurice on Twitter at Jones underscore Drew thirty two. Maurice, thank you again for joining us.
6: Oh, thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it.
2: All right, we'll be right back after this quick break. <laughs>
5: The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. They need a bitch's ass and then move oh, on. I just, I just think and that and the coach go. made a mistake. Crazy. <laughs> NFL, MLB, MLB, MLB NBA, NBA, NHL. NHL. Speak, up, speak up. Or forever hold your mouth.
6: We ain't playing around here. here. Voice America Sports.
0: Are you a real sports fan? That's Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network.
1: You're listening to Secondary Perspective with Nick Ferguson. To get in the lineup for today's show, please call 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to nickferkshow at gmail.com. Now... Back to
6: the
5: show.
2: Mario, that was a, a great show. And let me start off by uh, apologizing to uh, my good friend, uh, Jeff Hauser. We won't be able to get him on uh, the program this week, but we definitely have him. Next week, as we go through our draft uh, analysis. Because well,
3: Jeff, is, Jeff is so good, you know, and we and we ran a little long with Scoop and Maurice. Jeff is so good of a guest that we don't want to, you know, limit him. So we want to be able to give him as much time as he needs to break down the draft because he is one of the best when it comes to that.
2: Yeah, we definitely want to do that. But great show. I mean, great stuff from Scoop Jackson and Maurice Jones-Drew. Talking about his kids and life plan in the NFL. And, you know, real quick, let me jump back to the story when you were talking about Dante Hall. I played in that game. I had an MCL sprain in that in that game. And I came out and Ronnie Bradford, who was a special teams coach, he said, Nick, I need you in for this game. I said, Ronnie, I can't go. My, 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 my leg is shot. And on the play that I wasn't in, Dante Hall ran the ball back on the side that I would have been standing on being the wing on punt return. I mean, on punt team. And, and let me lay it out for you. I played defense and all special teams. So I was winded, not just the fact of being injured. But oh, yeah, now, was...
3: now, now we're going to get excuses from Mr. Ferguson. Okay.
2: Oh, no, 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 no. no. Wait, a minute, wait a minute. That's not excuse. An injury is not excuse. But I I witnessed firsthand Dante Hall's no run
3: through. You weren't injured.
2: What? Well, look, the chiropractor the, the was not head. on the sidelines. <laughs> Look, the Kyle <laughs> was not on the sideline. Maybe if he were on the sideline, maybe I would have been able to get back in the game, but that wasn't the case. But I, I witnessed that play firsthand. The, the officials, instead of focusing on the play at hand, they're watching Dante Hall. They're not seeing the Willie Middlebrooks get hit in the back, the holding. They're not watching anything. They're just fascinated by watching him do his thing, and it's frustrating every year that I see it. You know, maybe NFL Network has their <laughs> top 10 plays and it's the joy, human joystick or the X-Factor, as he was called uh, at, at that at that, t- at that point. But, uh, yeah, man, it's one of those hard things, hard pills uh, to swallow uh, or watching that. So uh, real quick before we get out of here, once again, the NBA playoffs begin this Saturday. No nuggets, no heat. So, Mario, who do you have East-West Conference duking it out?
3: You know what? I I feel like I'm gonna go out on a limb because this doesn't happen a lot. I'm gonna pick both of the number one seeds, and I hope you're picking up on the sarcasm because obviously it happens all the time. But man, I, I love I love Golden State. I mean, they're they're just so good. Uh, it, it might be the Spurs just because the Spurs, you can never count them out. They're the defending champions. Popovich, they're always there. San Antonio's always going to be a factor. But I think Golden State is just head and shoulders better than everyone else in the West, and I'm going to pick the Falcons in the East. I think they're head and shoulders better than any other team in that division, and I'm going to take the Warriors to win it all. Finally, we get a little bit of parity in basketball.
2: Well, I think I, I think you're talking about the Hawks, but I'm sure the Falcons and Coach Dan Quinn will hope that that team would be somewhere in the playoffs.
3: Did I, did I say Falcons? Atlanta yes. Hawks. Yes, okay, well, Falcons well, I, is not going to win the NBA championship.
2: Well, but maybe Dan Quinn and that organization hoping that the Falcons will be in a position for the NFL playoffs 30, and maybe having a number one season. You
3: got real quick.
2: Well, you know what? I, I'm going to go with the Cavs and I'm going to go with the Spurs because Popovich always make that late se- season surge and I, and I never bet against the Patriots and Bill Belichick and Popovich in the Spurs. That's just the way it is, and LeBron might have to now take another elbow. but where is he going to run now? He can't run back to Cleveland, can't run back to Miami. So we, we would have to see. Those are my picks, but I want to thank my guests, Maurice Jones, Drew, and Scoop Jackson for joining the program. Also, Justin on the boards, making sure we run smoothly. You, my host, co-host, Mario Batanzi. Next week, NFL Draft, Avengers. Come back here, right here, Secondary Perspective, Voice America Sports.
1: Thanks again for stopping by. Be sure to catch Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. in the West on the Voice America Sports Channel. We'll share some more great stories next week.